Thank you, Ravi, for that prayer. Very uh, good morning to those of you who are joining us on the live stream. Welcome, and uh, glad that you are with us. If you are coming a little bit later and, and uh, are joining us, you're also welcome whatever time you may be watching this. Uh, I want to continue in a sense in the, this little mini-series, actually it's only just two, <laughs> looking at this passage in Second uh, Corinthians. I've entitled it uh, A Ministry of Reconciliation. But, um, you know, if you were um, with us in last week's service or you've had a chance to hear last week's sermon, I entitled it Don't Lose Heart. And uh, the um, context, of course, of this passage is uh, Paul was threatened uh, to be cancelled. <laughs> the threat of being cancelled, I mean, I'm using uh, colloquial language, obviously, was not something they thought about. But there was a great critique against him. And the whole of Second uh, Corinthians, there's an undercurrent, um, a subtext uh, about Paul really defending the ministry that God had given him. Uh, um, um, putting up against uh, what would be called super apostles. In fact, you see in Second Corinthians chapter uh, eleven, verse five, you know he alludes to them. He said, "Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles." So the um, people who were critiquing him, you know, uh, uh, were those who considered themselves super apostles. They were um, larger than life, and. You know, we may now look at Paul as this great giant of a man, but actually if you read his letters, he talks about the fact that he is unimpressive, he's short in stature. In, in, in fact, in this uh, chapter 11, verse 5, verse 6, he says, I, I don't even speak well. So he wasn't the greatest preacher either, despite the fact that God had chosen to use him and, uh, you know, through him had uh, really brought the gospel far and wide, and especially to those who are not Jews, the Gentiles, people like us. But we see in uh, earlier passage as we were uh, uh, looking at this, the point that Paul was making is that everything he was doing, all this for your benefit, all the suffering he was going through, his ministry, his whole purpose, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15. So I want to uh, today just bring us through Three points as we talk about the ministry of reconciliation that Paul had, and by default is uh, ours as well. And, you know, Paul was firstly confident. Secondly, he was compelled. But thirdly, he was also committed. Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer as we begin to look at these uh, uh, three points very briefly this morning. Father, we ask that as we come to your word, that your word will truly... Um, uh, be quickened in our hearts, especially that which comes from you. Pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth, it shall not return unto you empty, but shall accomplish that which you have purposed for it. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So my first point is this, that Paul was confident, and we pick it up looking uh, from um, um, uh, uh, verse 6 onwards. But even before we go that, you know, the, the, what was not read from chapter 5, verses 1 to chapter uh, verse 5, basically Paul uses the uh, metaphor of tents or clothes. You know, he, he talks about, and last week we talked a little bit about how creation groans. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, right? That we want to put off 
this uh, earthly existence Paul is saying, you know, the, the suffering that we go through in life, you know, we would much rather be uh, with Christ. But nonetheless, he realized that's not to be. You know, God still had his purposes in and through his life. That he, what he was going through was ultimately within uh, uh, the plan of the Lord because he had uh, great plans. And so we pick it up in verse 6 of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Always of good courage. The NIV says it better, and I've taken my uh, uh, points from the NIV's uh, reading because you know I could find nice C words <laughs> that uh, uh, um, helped each heading. But it says this: that therefore we are always confident that there is a confidence because he had already said, "Don't lose heart." Confidence in the Lord, and he goes on. Why are we confident? Because we walk by faith. And not by sight. Um, last week's uh, um, passage that we looked at ended on verse 18 of chapter 4. And it says this, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And his point is that obviously as Christians, we don't just rely on the senses. And then, uh, you know, all of us, I think most of us, are really driven by appearances. And certainly that was the case with the super apostles. I think the super apostles were very impressive. Maybe of uh, good stature, good looking, you know, um, um, great presence and charisma. In, in fact, you can see in verse 18 of chapter 5, or verse 12, sorry, of, of chapter 5, he, he points out, you know, that um, you boast those, uh, maybe be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. In other words, you know, they were, were saying, uh, look at Paul, he's so unimpressive. Look at us, we look so impressive. You know, and outwardly, maybe even their ministries looked more impressive. Maybe they could command greater crowds. Maybe the show was a lot better. I, I don't know what exactly was going on, but certainly there was this uh, mentality how we can sometimes be led astray by what we see on the outside. You know, there's a Hokkien phrase which we sometimes we use, right? It can look really good, but in reality, when you get down to it, there isn't a substance. You know, when you, 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 you take it, you find that there's no nutrition in what is being uh, given. And we need to be careful that we don't always look at what is seen versus what is unseen, i.e. the heart. You know, what is in the heart. But then he goes on in verses 8 and 9, he says this, Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him, to please Jesus. Right? Yes, we would rather, uh, much rather be with Jesus, Paul is saying. But since we are not, since we are still here, how? He says, please God. Live a life that is pleasing to Him. Now, be mindful of this, you know. I, I sometimes relate to Paul in a way as a, a, a minister of the gospel, and I, I think this is somewhat true. Most of us who uh, are called into this ministry, especially as an upfront ministry, there is a, 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 you know, an underlying character trait that seems to, I've, I've found it happening in a lot of pastors, 
And that is a, 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 a desire to please people. Right, we're here to minister to people, so we are often, uh, you know, consummate people pleasers. That's my, uh, you know, uh, constant uh, thorn in the flesh, in the sin that so easily ensnares is me. So being driven by uh, public earthly opinions, that sometimes I'm not as concerned about God's opinion, or what God wants. And he's pointing out, be careful about that. You know, don't try and please people that you forget about the the importance of pleasing God. And he points out, why is it important? Because in verse 10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, that God at the end will judge all things. And there are two parts to it. Yes, in a sense, he's going to judge us. But on the other hand, remember the subtext of this whole uh, uh, book is talking about these super apostles, and he's pointing out, he says, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm impressive to you. At the end of the day, the Lord judges. And he knows the condition of my heart. He knows my intention. Right? I may not be impressive to you, but I know that I'm doing exactly what God has called me to be doing. I'm not, you know, pursuing someone else's agenda. I'm not trying to pursue others. And, and mind you, that's sometimes the case, you know. As a pastor, it's very easy sometimes to look at other churches and say, oh, why aren't we just like them? Why don't we do exactly what they're doing? And, you know, they are God's servants and the Lord has called them to a particular ministry and He's been telling them, you know, ultimately this is what uh, uh, you need to be doing and that's why they do what they do. But all of us need to understand what God is calling us to. And I think as Church of the Good Shepherd, we also need to know that. That, you know, our goal is ultimately to please our Heavenly Father. Do what He has called us to in the niche or in the particular ministry He's called us to. Not longing to be like some other church or some other ministry or some other person. You know, who are all uh, servants of God. They ultimately listen to the voice of the Master. And so we must too. And so we are confident. Our confidence is in what God has called us to and what we are hearing him saying. And, and that's what uh, Paul has said about himself. And I think, you know, it's, it's something we want to do. But secondly, he says this, that we are compelled. In verse 11, he goes on to say, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. Understanding that there is a judgment day. You know, we need to be mindful that, you know, uh, uh, people all around us who are headed towards a Christless eternity are headed towards judgment. And we know that those who die without Christ, based on His word, it tells us that there will be uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That there is a hell. That there is going to be a final judgment. You know, I don't know how many of you have, have watched this, and I've talked about this before, but years ago, I think it was in 2009, uh, you remember there's this uh, um, um, uh, illusionist Penn and Teller, their well-known act in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, one half of the act, the guy's name is Penn Gillette, he used to have a, a vlog, um, a blog on, on uh, a video blog. And I remember there was one episode which went viral because he had talked about one of his shows, how after he had uh, um, uh, finished his show, someone came up to him and gave him a Bible. 
And so he began talking about this guy giving him a Bible, and he said how he's... Now, Pan is famous atheist. He's even written a book about his atheism, right? So he doesn't believe in God at all. But he was moved by this guy who came up and gave him a Bible because this guy had conviction. And he ends his blog by saying this, you know, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Here's an atheist who says, I have deep respect for people who evangelize, who proselytize is the word he uses, who shares about their faith because it shows that they really believe what they believe. That if you know that people are headed for Christless eternity, how can you not want to persuade them? How can you not want to bring them to salvation, to save them from this uh, uh, ultimate destiny? And, you know, that was his point. How can you believe that there is hell and then, you know, how much do you hate them that you refuse to tell them about the solution to their eternal problem? But Paul then goes on in verses 12 and 13 in the passage, he goes on to say this, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. And it's almost as if you, we see Paul is sort of uh, embarrassed about uh, having to boast about himself, you know, to, to self-promote, which is obviously what's happening with these super apostles. But why does he even do this? You know what? It's against his instinct. Why is he uh, uh, boasting about these things? Verse 14 um, um, uh, goes on to tell us, let me see, where am I? His motivation. He says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He's saying right here that Christ's love compels us. Or if you look back in the ESV, he says the love of Christ controls us. That, you know, rather than being a person who's egocentric, he's now Christocentric, if I could use a theological term. Rather than being driven by self-interest, he's in, driven by Christ's interest. Because he has received the love of Christ, how can he not bring this message of the love of Christ to a dying world? That is what moves him. You know, it, in, in, in this verse, he says that one has died for all, therefore all have died. What does that mean? Therefore all have died. Well, it reminds me of that verse in Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I live, but Christ who lives in me. I use the message because I like uh, the message to unpack this verse for you because he puts it in very uh, um, everyday language. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, he, he says this, Christ's love showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God even. Right? Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and, and that's kind of what 
um, he was implying when he says, you know, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you in, in verse uh, 13 of, of this passage. You know, if I'm a fool, you know, I'm a fool for Christ. And a, f- a fool so that you may uh, know about the love of God. So we see that he's confident, he's compelled, but thirdly, he then is committed. Committed. In verse 16, it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. What does this phrase, according to the flesh, mean? Again, NIV sometimes helps us. The NIV's translation reads this way, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. Don't forget that Paul, in his former life, prior to becoming a Christian, prior to uh, being converted on that road to Damascus, Paul was a Pharisee. And we all know that in Jesus' day, you know, the way Pharisees operated, it was, you know, they totally lived by the law and committed themselves to an outward righteousness to impress people and hopefully in their way impress God. And I believe that's how he means he used to regard people from a worldly point of view, but even Christ he regarded from a worldly point of view, which is why he was persecuting those who followed Christ. Because he felt he was doing God's work, he was being, uh, doing God, God's work, that he was being zealous for the cause of God. And, you know, to the point where he was actually putting Christians to death, or at least condoning, he, you know, they would lay their garments at his feet as they stoned Stephen and all the other Christians. Again, this is the point he is trying to make, that we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. You know, we are often, as human beings, very much caught up in the appearances. And, and you know, what do we do when we consider Christ from a new point of view? from a non-worldly point of view. For example, you know, how are we impressed by leadership? Jesus taught the kind of leadership you need to be impressed with is servant leadership, not those who can, you know, uh, impress people and order people around, tell people what to do. That's not leadership. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. He talks about if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. You know, that's a different uh, standard to the world's standard of leadership, for example. Uh, that following Christ is beyond deserving. What do I mean by that? It's, it's a phrase I picked up from uh, Dorothy Martin where he talks, she talks about raising children and, and taking them beyond this, um, um, uh, doing everything by merit, right? Meritocracy and, and this drivenness to deserve what you get. And, and the, the reality is that, you know, we, we need to go beyond deserving. You all remember uh, that passage of Scripture, in, I don't have it up here on the screen, but in Philippians 3, where Paul talked about, you know, I used to deserve, I believe I deserve what I had, that I, you know, had all the spiritual credentials. If that anyone had confidence, right, he says, uh, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He said, circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, you know, he believed that if you want to be right with God, you have to prove yourself. You have to earn your favor with God. You have to earn your salvation. 
You have to earn your righteousness. And that was the worldly point of view. But we go on in verses uh, 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's the new point of view that we are called to have. Not valuing the seen, but the unseen. And seeing what is unseen is even more important. The spiritual realities that God has called us to. New creations called to new behaviors. New creations called to new values. New value systems. But this new creation, what we are is this. All this is from God. In verse 18 it continues. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us... The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And again, I, I, I take this point that Paul was you know, confident, he was compelled, but ultimately he was committed. Right? He, he, he points out in, in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us in the NIV, it says. Not just entrusted, he committed it to us, this message of reconciliation. If you were uh, um, watching last week and you heard my sermon, I talked about how you know that uh, uh, those who tried to live by the law, the, uh, Paul used the term, you know, speaking about those who, who were legalists in that sense, uh, having a ministry of condemnation, that they were there to just point out everyone's faults, you know, pulling out the speck in everybody's eye while ignoring the plank in their own, if I could use Jesus' uh, parable metaphor. But ultimately, what God has committed to us, this message of reconciliation is here in verse 19. This is the message He has committed to us, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And this is what he has committed to us, this message of reconciliation. That the message of the gospel is this. It's not what you do, it's what has been done for you. It's not about adherence to the law, but about receiving the gospel. Not about just obeying the commandments, but receiving ultimately the promise that comes. And out of that, uh, living in the promise, living in the grace of God, living in it by the gospel, yes, we end up learning to live the right life, but that's not what's important, what's called, it's to believe in the one whom God has sent. So in conclusion, in this passage, Paul then points out, therefore, in the light of all of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. And as ambassadors, we represent the King of Kings, that is God. God makes His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As you know, this year our theme uh, for the church is crossing over kind of hard to think about that when we can't gather and meet in this new building. You know, uh, I, we have the privilege, those of us who serve you week after week, because we still come back every weekend uh, for services. But in crossing over, you know, I believe if we look at this passage and we see Paul's example, 
we need to be confident in our position in Christ. You know, we need to be strong and courageous, not be afraid, not be discouraged. Despite the circumstances we find ourselves in, despite the obstacles we may, may be facing due to this pandemic, despite the uh, realities of, you know, um, um, a daunting task before us, such a small church, let's be confident that this is what God has called us to. We're not trying to be someone else. We're not trying to do someone else's job or some other, be another church. We are Church of the Good Shepherd who has been called to be this lighthouse, this, this outpost in this uh, town, uh, new town, well, it's not a new town, <laughs> new old town <laughs> of Queenstown, you know, the first satellite town in, in Singapore. And we do it because we are compelled by the love of Christ, because of what God has done for us, because the Lord, our God, is with us wherever we go. And ultimately, we are confident, we are compelled, but let's be committed to this ministry of reconciliation. You know, I, I want to conclude by reading this passage from the start of Second uh, uh, Corinthians, the book of Second Corinthians, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation because it's easier sometimes to, to follow the train of thought. He says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. You know, Despite what we go through, God's comfort is with us. We are blessed. We are blessed as a people, but we are blessed not for ourselves alone. right? He goes on in verse 6, he says, Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. This ministry of reconciliation is what we have received. We have been reconciled to God. Now we are called to reconcile others to the Lord. But may I suggest to you, it goes beyond just traditional evangelism, this message, this ministry of reconciliation. It's also meaning that we are to be peacemakers. We are to build bridges and reconcile people to one another as well. You know, I, I don't know if you guys have been uh, following the news lately, but you know, Singapore is uh, a multi-religious, multi-racial, multilingual society. And coming up in July is this uh, day which all of us recognize if we've gone through school, right? They call it, what, Racial Harmony Day. Uh, <coughs> and Racial Harmony Day is a day in which we recognize that we live amongst many races. And one of the uh, uh, um, best things, I think, when you're in school and you enjoyed Racial Harmony Day was you got to go to school not wearing uniform. <laughs> you could wear some kind of racial costume, you know, or racial get-up so that you, you can go in street clothes. Well, this is not quite street clothes as you can see these boys. But you know, when we think about racial harmony, I think we realize the news is telling us that this racial harmony is only skin deep in many ways. 
right? If you look at the news reports, you can see all kinds of things have happened in the last uh, couple of months. You know, I don't know if it's the pandemic which has caused all of it to come up, but sometimes you know how it is. Uh, when uh, pressure happens, it's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste, right? When you add pressure, what's inside all comes out. And the reality is that we find that there are broken relationships all around, not least of which in the matter of racial relations. And you know, what I long for and what I, I hope and, and you know, we could do is when we bring this message of reconciliation, that we go beyond just preaching the gospel in terms of you know, coming to Christ, but that the gospel also makes a difference in how we live our lives. That as we recognize that at the foot of cross, the ground is level, that we are no better than anyone else, we also bring this uh, message of, of, um, of, of equality, of harmony, of learning to live with people of different backgrounds, different persuasions, different worldviews even, and helping us to find a place uh, that goes deeper in terms of our relationships. And so I end and repeat the last two verses from uh, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. And that's the appeal I think God's making to us. Let's come back to Him. Let's return to Him. Whether we are Christians or we are not yet Christians. If we are not yet Christians, you know, this appeal means, you know, come back into relationship with Him. Right relationship with Christ. To come into this living relationship. And how do we do that? We do that because, you know, the last verse says this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In other words, you know, we come to God just by acknowledging the fact that God has already done all the work that's needed for us to be reconciled. That Jesus came 2,000 years ago, not just to live on earth, but to go to a cross, and to die on our behalf, to pay the price for our sins. And all we need to do is to receive that and to acknowledge that we are sinners in need of grace, in need of saving. Acknowledge the, the, the great price that Jesus paid and the great gift He gives us of eternal life. We come back to God, for those of us who are already Christians, returning to the heart of the gospel recognizing that, you know, we are meant to be peacemakers. We are to humble ourselves before the Almighty God and receive the grace that He gives us so freely so that we can become channels of that grace to others, to reconcile others to the Lord and to one another. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads as we go to God in prayer. What is it that God has been speaking to you this morning? How has the Word of God challenged you? In what ways do we need to repent and return to Him? What new points of view do we need to adopt? 
What new ways of behaving do we need to practice? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been at work reconciling the world to yourself through our Son Jesus, through your Son Jesus Christ. And Lord, that that message of reconciliation has come to us in the past, but is continuing to speak to us in the present as well. Father, as we hold up the mirror of your word, and as we see the ways in which we fall short, we ask and pray, Lord, that we would repent of our willful, wrongful, sinful ways and return to you. That we would humble ourselves before the hand of grace, before you, the Almighty God, that you may continue to transform us from one degree of glory to another in the likeness of your Son. But we also pray for those who have yet to come to know you, Lord. We ask for your grace upon them. And we pray, Lord, that you would enter into their hearts as they repent of their sin to receive your Son Jesus into their lives. Holy Spirit, come and fill them now, we ask and we pray. Fill all of us, Lord, with the comfort of this good news so that as we are comforted, we may in turn comfort others and bring these comfortable words. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, says the Lord our God to us. We ask and pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team.